This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Hello, my name is Simon Miller from What Culture Wrestling and you are listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast and you better keep listening to it. Why? Here's why. You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast, a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we can produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and all other podcast platforms. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at podmania.co.uk. Let's do this. Welcome to another episode of the Podmania Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Good, and I'm joined as ever by Garth Jackson and Chris O'Brien. Garth of the Jackson, how are we? Good, good, good. Good win for my team today. Top of the league. Uh, I'm full of pizza and I'm ready to talk wrestling. Will we be meeting next year, do you think? Or are Leeds going to do a Leeds and choke? <sighs> Drop a bollock. Um, <laughs> I, f- I really hope not. I think we need another seven points to guarantee. So, And that's just automatic promotion. That's not the league title, is it? That's second place, yeah. Yeah, that's it's you and West Brom at the top, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, so fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, Chris O'Brien. Yes, how- football. I know football. I know everything. I know lots about football. <laughs> the temptation to ask you the most obscure football question in the world is unreal, but I'm going to resist and ask you what you have been up to. Movies. I've been watching movies. I got sick of Garth being mad, especially after Star Wars. Like, Garth does not like my Star Wars opinions. So I was like, okay, I'm going to appease him by watching movies. <laughs> to give you some manner of context, in the Podmania group chat, um, I was in a meeting and I got out of my meeting and looked at my phone, which had been vibrating non-fucking-stop in this meeting. I looked, and I legitimately had 68 notifications just from these two arguing about Star Wars. It wasn't an argument, it was a... <laughs> Spirited debate. debate. <laughs> <laughs> I really like The Last Jedi, and Garth doesn't. It's a generational thing. It's not a generational thing. Come on. My dad's older than you and he likes um, Black Jedi. Well, if you look at the Podmania website, we've actually got a write-up from my brother on ranking all the Star Wars films and he has ranked Last Jedi obscenely high. Um, I, I don't think, honestly because I'm going to put my two cents in it now, because I like I was like, I'm not reading 68 notifications. <laughs> Absolutely fuck that. Um, if you have to have the next film in the chronology spend the opening 20 minutes retconning everything that happened oh, in the previous what... film, then perhaps that previous film isn't that great. They didn't have to. Star Wars fans are just bi- turn into bitchy little children whenever Star Wars is brought up because they never 
world. People don't analyze and talk about Star Wars films like they're, they're actual fucking films. They make up shit to be mad about, and it's stupid. Hey, noticed- Goth is not a bitchy child. <laughs> <laughs> but like on slightly nicer notes, I may have seen one of my new top five films of all time this week. Which is? Silence of the Lambs. I love that shit. Oh my god. I also love Fumoto Jacket, but also that shit scarred me. I'm still, I still haven't quite recovered. I just watched Brave. Alien. I had to, yeah, I also watched it. Oh, there's three amazing films. I'm going to watch Braveheart and fuck that shit. Stop talking, <laughs> Scott. Stop fucking Scottish history to tell a shit story. <laughs> and also, don't forget, there is a random car in that film as well. Um, yeah. And here's the thing I was watching now. I was talking to my friend, Jan, and. And I was pointing out all the historical inaccuracies, and she's American, and she was like, I love this. Because literally anyone who's ever been to a pro- Scottish primary school will be able to pick holes. In- Actually, fun fact, in the lead up to exams, um, to make sure we were up to snuff, they used to play us the first hour of that movie and have us point out all the historical inaccuracies. <laughs> That's fucking... That, is, that reeks of a teacher who's got in in the morning and gone, right, I haven't got fuck all planned for today. Uh... <laughs> Braveheart. Tell me how shit Braveheart is. That's great. I'm going to do that tomorrow with my year sixes. That's a great idea. How shit is this film, guys? See you in an hour. You, you could do a. You could do it with the Patriot. <laughs> Mel Gibson again as well. I'm not. I'm not adding that to my list. Don't do it. It's terrible. Going back to what you said, Chris, though, like with um, Full Metal Jacket, that's the thing I had with the Joker film. Absolutely fucking amazing film. Joaquin Phoenix plays an absolutely astonishingly good part, but it is heavy fucking shit. Oh, like, yeah, I can't. I've rewatched Joker once since I've watched that film, and, like, it's really good. Everything makes, like, perfect sense. You do gain something upon a rewatch, but also, like, I need, like, at least a year between rewatches of that film, no matter how much. It might be my film of the year last year, Endgame. And I don't. I didn't watch a ton of films last year. The Lego Movie Two was quite good. Um, (sighs) (laughs) You are comparing an Oscar-winning film with a film that popularised the song "Everything Is Awesome." Uh, 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 That was the first. That was the first. Oh fuck off! Honestly, (laughs) fuck's sake, the state of you, boy. I have a list now. I'm making my way through them. I'm so proud of you for that. Well done. Um, Before we delve in then to the actual wrestling that we're supposed to talk about today, (laughs) um, Garth, what is your tipple of choice today? Well, um, because I'm so full of the humongous pizza I ate, I can't really stomach any heavy beer or anything. So instead, I have a multivitamin um, dissolvable tablet drink. (laughs) The most uncool thing I think I've ever said in my life. (laughs) I bet you weren't expecting that. Does it help keep your tablet down? It's only way I can take them nowadays. <laughs> oh god! Oh, oh god! Oh fucking hell! 
Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. You are the coolest motherfucker. Um <laughs> Oh my god. It's like, yeah, I'm 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 drinking the dissolve Who who the fuck cares? Come at me. Yeah, come at me, bro, with my vitamins. <laughs> oh Chris, what are you drinking? Well, if you say fucking <laughs> Are you drinking your milk and saying your prayers as well? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, my eyes are fucking streaming now. Oh, Chris, what are you drinking? Um, water. Although this, if we were doing this tomorrow, <laughs> Fuck I am me. going to, I'm going to um Asda because my nana said. <laughs> so big Friday out for Chris. <laughs> no, my nana. <laughs> I was expecting to say I'm going to like a party. Yes, yeah, so no. I expected. I'm going to Asda. Yes. Fucking big night in the Asda's. Because Nana Birchall, sort of the earth that she is, sent me £20 for passing my degree. Aww. So, so, so I'm sure what she wants, but, you know, <laughs> the, the most Catholic woman I've ever met she would want me to buy a bottle of Jack Daniels. So. 100%. It's, it's actually one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> when thou is blessed with £20, thou must go to nearest Asda big store and buy a bottle of finest Jack Daniels. I believe it's uh, I believe it's the lesser known eleventh commandment. Here's the thing. Um, well, yeah, Moses dropped the tablet because and he was drunk, so it dropped, fell off. But also, um, it's Bank of England, so I'm not sure if it's legal tender up here. That's it, fine. It's pre- <laughs> pretty much like toilet paper, isn't it? There. Yeah, you guys, you guys are racist. You guys are really racist. I mean. Hey. That's Mel Gibson talking. <laughs> um, right. Shall we get on to the actual topic of our part? I'm still laughing at the fact that Garth's drinking a fucking multivitamin drink. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Oh, that's going to live with me for the rest of my life. Anyway, um, the topic of our podcast today, we've gone for another top six list. And today we're looking, as it's over halfway through the year, but we're nothing if not wildly disorganised. Um, we're looking at our halfway point on matches of the year. So again, as we do with all our top sixes, this is not a definitive list. Um, it's not including promotions where we aren't particularly familiar with them and we've only seen the odd match. Um and generally, it's a discussion. So each of us have come up with two matches. We're each going to proffer one of our matches for discussion. And then the other two are going to tell us how we are horrendously fucking wrong and we should go and hang our head in shame. Um, but let's kick off then. And Garth, should we start with you? Would you like to go first? I can if you like. Just because I'm very <laughs> conscious that it is getting quite late and it is past your bedtime. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Go for it, then. Uh, so, first one I'm going to go for is one that might not get mentioned very often in top lists, but I watched it again today. I watched it <clears throat> the week it came out, and I remember reading about it because it was a pre-tape, and people at the time apparently were saying it's a classic, it's a sort of top-tier pay-per-view level, so I'm going for SmackDown, June the 13th or 12th, uh, Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles for the Intercontinental Championship. This was the tournament final, right? Yeah. So it was like the sort of... Um, 
it's called the vacated title. Of course, yeah. Was the the new was it the new design when they've just released that? No, no. I think Braun. That was um, the IC title was way back. Um, that got changed when Nakamura held it back at Survivor Series. So. Was it? Jesus, no. Um, <laughs> Shit's happened it's the first to time I noticed it. It's, it's probably because every maybe two or three minutes the camera would pan to a shot of the belt, like a close up. Oh god! And it was just it was that's like something, that's something I hate about WWE. Like, fucking up. like it's almost like they're like we can't cut to the crowd anymore because we'll show them not wearing masks. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just before, go on. Sorry, go on. Uh, sorry, go on. The match itself was like what, twenty, just over twenty-five minutes, but it was just a masterclass. Like two legitimate, like masters of their trade, sort of trade and blows, um, storytelling in ring. Because like there wasn't really any sort of lead up anyway. There was no real proper story. Um, they were just they were the tournament finalists, but it was just you could tell the clicked just totally and utterly. And like Brian went back to his sort of much more targeted submissions and holds, and AJ didn't really have an answer for it. So so AJ then had to start using all his tricks of targeted knees, and they couldn't get any of his. Aerial moves. He couldn't. He couldn't barely get off the mat because Brian just absolutely just just put on a masterclass. Um, but then AJ sort of worked the knee, and this was I was <clears throat> reading about it afterwards, and there were people and the ref apparently was legitimately thought that Brian was injured with his knee, and Brian sold it as he was, and he says, "No, I'll be all right, but like just stand by, sort of thing." So people legitimately thought this was. A proper injury. It's so good. Like the selling was so good, and then um, it was just just a fucking really great match. It would have been it wouldn't have been out of place on like the top of a card or on a pay per view. Um, stuff like like the the Pele kick into an ankle lock, uh, then the running knee countered into a Styles clash. Which you, you think, how the fuck can you do that? But they did it. No bother. <laughs> um, they did stuff like where, you know, like normally in a match, if it's quite even, they'll have the thing where they run into each other in the middle of the ring or they'll do a double clothesline. Well, they did that, but it was it looked really messy. I think Brian went for a knee and AJ went for like a forearm and they just smashed into each other, but it just looked like real. Um, I was just watching it and it was one of those matches where normally if it's going like 25, 30 minutes, you sort of start looking at your phone or wondering a bit, but I was just totally just engrossed in the match. And that's... Very few matches do that nowadays, so... Yes, that match is one of my favourites I've seen this year. Chris? What did you think of it? Well, um, did any of you watch the tournament going into this match? I no, saw, saw the odd match. On YouTube. Yeah. Because um, I was cute... Because this is a tournament final. As you guys know, I'm a little bit compulsive. Um, so when I heard about this match being so good, I was like, okay, I'll watch it. But it's like, it's tournament final. And in my head, I'm like, you don't need to watch the whole tournament. You don't need to watch the tournament. You don't need... So I watched the whole tournament. And, um, Daniel Bryan was without a doubt the fucking star. Like, he could pull a great match out of anyone. And, like, 
Um, he had a match with Gulak, and it was like a fucking Matt Classic. Like they were wrestling like we're aspiring, which makes sense because they're tag team partners. It's just amazing. And then you had um, him versus Sheamus, which is always a solid enough matchup. But like AJ Styles had an easier path because I think if I'm remembering rightly, he only had to beat Nakamura because Hardy got taken out. Um, or shame, someone got taken out. Was it Elias? I can't remember. It was Elias. Um, was it? I can't. I I watched. <laughs> I'm fucking around. anyway. Um, AJ had a, only had to beat Nakamura, which like in WWE lands. Anyway, so like uh, going in, like both men had like decent matches under their belt, especially Brian. I think um, if you haven't go back, go and watch his match with Gulak. He's only like ten minutes long, and it's amazing. But yeah, go, going into this, I'm just convinced Daniel Bryan is the Bret Hart of now, where we can work a great match with anybody. Only he's yeah. better than Bret Hart because he can cut a promo. Um, it's just amazing. It's just I, I'm surprised they didn't put the championship on him, to be honest. But like I understand why they put it on AJ because AJ's a, like a flashier person. But like yeah, I can't really name any spots that Garth didn't that I thought stood out, especially the Paley into the ankle lock. I saw that earlier this year in like a WXW match, but like. For like an IC title, it means more, so it made me pop a bit more. Because like mm. these two have perfect timing, like absolutely perfect timing. And Brian, AJ can sometimes go a tiny bit over the top. He doesn't do it too often nowadays, but like he can definitely overindulge, especially in near falls. So Brian does a great job of sort of reining that in because mm-hmm. he's a genius. So like that's, it's that, a... that's the thing that I noted. It was like, and I put it down. I said it's like it's not. You typically WWE where it's like. Finisher, near fall, finisher, near fall. It was they were trying to get the finishes in, but they couldn't. And then when yeah. they did, they were too fucked themselves to do a cover or something like that. No, exactly. Like um, every time they took a like a remotely stupid risk, it made sense in the match as opposed to like a lot of a, like a lot of matches, especially like early on in AEW before they sort of fixed that, like where they take a risk just to pop the crowd and it wouldn't affect the match. Whereas like every like every move here felt like it mattered. That's it. Eh? I mean, I love this match, and I'm not I'm not going to go over the match because obviously Garth has already explained it. The <clears> thing, there's two things that stood out to me here. One was finally we're going back to what the Intercontinental Championship actually means. You know, it's always, always, always been known as the workhorse title, and for the last I'd argue two and a half, three years, it's been completely missing in action. It's been a throwaway belt, probably since the Miz held it in 2016. I don't think since then there's been a meaningful reign. And unless I'm very much mistaken, Brian has in his contract at the moment that he can choose his feuds and he can choose his matches, basically, and who he works with. Hence him working with Gulak at Elimination Chamber. And I assume hence him working with Gulak again in this tournament. But if this means that we're going to get matches like this, like that Gulak match, I am all on board with this because we are getting that proper Daniel Bryan wrestling masterclass. And I'm completely cool with that. I am really, really happy with that. Um, if that's true, I think Daniel Bryan might be the only wrestler I trust with a contract like that because he's only going to put himself over when the story demands it. Like he's not... he's. The definition of a selfless worker half the time. Like he he tried his <clears> best <throat> to make he tried his best to make Big Cass look good. And like if I was Daniel Bryan there, I'd have just given up. I believe Edge has something similar in his contract. In fact, it was confirmed in an interview that he's got 
exactly the same sort of clause in his contract as Daniel Bryan has. Um, so that's why because he just feels it's safe. I don't think it's safe. I think it's... You know how Michaels, when he came back, his first feud, his first match was with Triple H and that was because he needed to be sure that he could still go and he needed to be sure he could still go with someone he knew very well, hence him working with Trips. And I think that was more the reason he chose Orton. A, it was an organic feud and the way they worked that into the Rumble was absolutely fantastic. But they worked so well together. They knew each other so well. And I think Orton is notoriously a very safe worker. You know, if you aren't quite sure of yourself, I think that's perfect. We're going to talk a little bit more about Edge Norton later on, so I'm not going to go into too much detail about that. The second thing I want to talk about is that WWE have this horrible propensity that when you get a dream match, um, <clears throat> AJ versus Nakamura, they tend to spaff it on the wall. Um, they tend to build up an audience's hope and then completely dash it with the well, most... They've already done that with this view because if you they wrestled up the Rumble last year and it was disappointing. Like I know they had a match at TLC, which is apparently good, but I haven't seen that. But like they had it on Rumble and they had it on a few Smackdowns before this, so like I was sort of scared. This is where that feud sort of played before this. Yeah, they did. Again, you look at the Nakamura AJ feud. You know, every single match was extremely disappointing. Kevin Owens versus AJ Styles, that feud, incredibly disappointing. So to have this, you know, yeah, I completely understand that the Rumble match was. It was still. It was still okay. It was just a little bit disappointing. The TLC one was better, but to have this match was a breath of fresh air. I only hope now because I know AJ has defended it against Drew Gulak recently. Um, I think last week. Um, if we're going to get people like that going for it, maybe see someone like a Cesaro go for it. They'll think they're going for the tag titles at the moment. Um, you know, literally having people have 20-minute classics with this match, with this belt, I'm all for it. And this match has certainly put put the IC title back on the map this year, certainly, because, like I said before, it was it was pretty dead and buried. Anyway, so that's Garth's first choice. Chris, um, I'm not sure if I know any of your choices, so this should be relatively interesting. What is your first choice to throw on our Podmania roundtable? Right, so neither of you have seen this match, but I couldn't not mention it. I'm just so sorry, but it's Takuminara versus Mayo Uathani from um, Stardom Weight of a Major League, I think was the show's name from... Because, um, oh my god, like, so this match was like a last minute replacement. It was originally going to be Sari, who I've still to this day, I don't think I've seen wrestle, but apparently she's really good. But she had to pull out due to illness. Um, so the horror came in, and oh my fucking god, this match. So, like, the horror is like immediately, like, very like she's wearing the Marafuji chaps and has like the 90s Joshi hair, you know what I mean? Like, the mad-looking hair. And it, like, especially compared to Mayu, it's massive. Like, it's like the Hulk versus fucking Tony Stark without the Iron Suit. It's ridiculous. And, like, immediately the match's tone is set up um, when she picks up Mayu and on the outside and lawn darts her into the ring post because Mayu has no respect for her neck. And then, like, it just developed. Like, every time Mayo would get momentum, it would be, um, it would be A, out of nowhere, but B, natural. Like, she, she'd go for, like, a running D, which is the, um, 
which is a running razor's edge, and she'd roll her up, and from there, like, the start, or she'd take the opportunity to get a kick in. Oh, and this is the best part of my match. She missed, like, three different fucking Power Ranger kicks. That's the only way I can describe these kicks. Like, proper Power Ranger kicks. <laughs> and, like, caught it in the German suplex. It was, um, like, that... I, that's, like, 30 seconds of wrestling. is probably my favourite. 30 seconds of wrestling all year and like it was it just kept going and going and like it it felt like an hour classic condensed into 20 minutes and it was perfect and i've been telling despite fact me and rob uh, um host the stardom podcast the stardom cast go listen um he still hasn't watched this match like this fact i've been telling him for four months now yeah it's <laughs> so, it's it's on my list i promise um but yeah this match is just it's my second favorite match of the year after one I know Rob's going to mention, which is why it's not on, which is why I'm not mentioning it. But wrestling, um, like wrestling perfection, put into you know what it's like you know in Black Panther with Ihara versus Mayo, it was like um, Ihara was fucking Killmonger, like is this your champion? It was amazing, loved it. But without the shitty CGI. Why have you mentioned films in front of Garth? You know he's going to shit on it. He's a film mark. <laughs> anyway. anyway um, I know you have thoughts on May, but apart from that, we can't really talk about this match much more in depth. We can't. Mayu is, Mayu is fantastic in every respect. She's... She's just she's made of rubber. Um, from all the matches that I've seen of Mayu, she just she just rubbernecks completely. She sells um, for everyone. She just makes everyone's offense look fucking amazing because she has no, as Chris said, absolutely no regard a for her body, b for her neck, and c for her own personal safety, which makes for compelling <laughs> viewing whenever she is taking a beating. And what that's, in my opinion, why she makes such a fantastic champion because she fights so well from underneath. But it is ever so slightly scary, especially when you look at some of the high-necked bumps she takes. Um, you do have to look at it at some point and think, Mayu, that's enough. Um, to put this in perspective, now, this is a botch, but it sort of puts into perspective how like almost indestructible her neck is. Um, she was having a match against B Priestley for the Red Belt um, last year, and she went for a Hurricane Rana. B slipped and dropped her on her head from the top rope, and she was fine. <laughs> like she was completely fine. Like it's one of those wrestling botches where you're surprised no one died, let alone no one was injured. It's, yeah, it's an yeah. astonishing it's an astonishing bump it it was gift on twitter for absolutely ages because you do look at it and go how is how is mayu still walking um but yeah even despite like i didn't like in surprise gaff hasn't called me a joshi mark yet um this match is like a perfect distillation like all the story you need is within the match itself so like if you have 20 minutes just go check it out because it's in my opinion, only one match has topped it all year. I'm right in thinking that it's not even for the belt, is it? It's just a special singles match. Oh, yeah, it's just a uh, special singles match. Although, afterwards, um, May does say you can challenge whenever you want because you've earned it because, to be fair, she did pin May. That's something I forgot to mention. The outside of pin May, I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming at all. Especially as it was a replacement as well. Yeah, especially, but, but like, but clearly, we saw a horror and was like, because she used to wrestle in stardom 
um, before. She left for it's marvelous, I think she is now. And like they clearly saw, well, if we can get you in for another day, that's going to draw, and would be another good fellow defense for May. So yeah, but hopefully when the world is good again, that match happens because I want to see this match like a million times, like all, 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 all the time, all day. <laughs> Bless you. Anyway, next your pick. Um, so, um, my pick, um. I imagine is fairly divisive, but I don't care. Um, is the greatest wrestling match <laughs> ever? Um, it's Edge versus uh, Randy Orton from Backlash 2020. Um, it was hamstrung certainly in the build-up um, by two things. Really, one that that awful tagline that they went with the greatest wrestling match ever, which just you know it. You're never going to look at an edge, you know, a match between Edge and Randy Orton, especially a 40-year-old Edge, and go, that's going to be the greatest wrestling match ever, especially when you've got, you know, Wrestle Kingdom in January. Um, but they went with it, and then, of course, it was um, it was hamstrung by the fact that it was in front of no crowd. Um, so it didn't have a lot going for it, really. But we went in, of course, it was on the back of that last man standing match at WrestleMania, which went about an hour and a half too long. Um so it went in with very, very lowered expectations, but this match went 44 minutes, and just like Garth said, it held my attention for the entire time because, you know, the WWE had layered it with pageantry to, you know, give, you know basically be a parody of itself, calling it the greatest wrestling match ever. We had Howard Finkel's announcement. We had the MSG microphone. We had heightened crowd interaction. Great moment. <laughs> we had different uh, camera angles. So they did go all in with that. But ignoring that, the story they told in the ring was excellent. And if they'd just gone with that story from the start, this match would have been a 10 out of 10 for me. Because the story of the match was simply, Edge has not wrestled an all-out wrestling match in nine years. Can he still go? And for the first 10 minutes, Edge and Randy Orton put on this just this absolutely incredible story of Edge attempting so many things and basically being overzealous into going into moves. You know, he was doing arm drags, but would then go for one too many and Orton would catch it and just look at him and smile as though to go, yeah, I know what your game is. And you could just see Edge losing his confidence going. And then there was one point where Randy Orton literally just tripped Edge up. Sorry, Randy Orton just tripped Edge up like an absolute prick. And Edge (laughs) rolled out of the ring and you just saw this look on his face, like this doubt-filled look on his face. And that story was absolutely incredible. And then it just kicked into another gear. We had finisher spamming. We had every great finisher in the world done and then the rock bottom. Um, It was... (laughs) It was a brilliant, captivating match. And then to top it off, Randy Orton had to resort to the punt, which he'd been a little bit negligent. He'd been a little bit sort of reserved about using. But in the end, he did use it. He won with that. And then there was just that that moment where he leaned into Edge and just went, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> and just whispered in his ear, and you you genuinely believe it because it's Randy Orton and he'll shit in your bag. Um, but yeah, I didn't think this would be good. Never mind, great. And 
me and Chris spoke about this on a on a different podcast, um, one of the weeks in wrestling, and we talked about how we slag WWE commentary off as a wrestling collective so often, and you know, quite often, you know, rightly so with their corporate shilling. But here, Tom Phillips, um, Pommy Samoa Joe, and even Byron Saxton did an absolutely stellar job of elevating this match to an even higher plane because A, they were just so fucking invested in the match. B, Samoa Joe, for, you know, considering he's a legitimate badass and a wrestler, he just added that certain something to it, that legitimate air to this match. And because of all that, I just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I texted both of you two when I'd done and said it's 44 minutes and I absolutely fucking loved every minute of it. I thought it was great. It it was so much better than it had any right to be. Um, Goth, what did you think of this match? Agreed. I probably would have put it on my list if I didn't know you were putting it on. Because um, it's up there alongside... And it's a lot like the AJ Bryan match. Like, twice as long, but... Just has the beats, the story beats that... They keep... The, the, the chi- Sometimes in these matches I go that long. Like, well, it happened on the um, Mania match. Was it Mania? Yeah, their last man standing match, yeah. That, that Some parts that went too long, but on this one, they changed it up at just the right time each time. Um, like you see, the first part was the sort of... Basically, Randy Orton just sort of taking the piss, like just as if he was like the school bully. And Edge couldn't get a break, and Edge getting really frustrated. Um, I just loved everything about it. Like when I watched it, and the first thing you hear is the Fink, and you're like, "Oh, they, they really are going all in on this." Like it's not like they're not. Uh, yes, they're using the greatest match of all time, but they're putting it forward as the greatest match of all time, using the the legends, using like you say the MSG thing, and um, and it, I think we spoke about it before, and it's like. When I watched it, I likened it to kind of the Rock and Austin, uh, the Rock and Hogan, wherein that the, having that crowd sound and having the commentary make it even more impactful, and the the spots mean more. Um, you had Joe there who was giving you all the sort of intricacies of that, how it feels, what that's doing here. Uh, just it was. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing match. And if it, it kind of goes against the normal sort of WWE green, but if you're a, like fully just entrenched in just WWE and you watch that and you don't, it doesn't absolutely set off the fireworks of what can be done with wrestling, you're fucking dead inside. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's everything that WWE isn't. And I know we shit on it all the time, and like it, it does sound like we're we hate it, but we don't really hate the WWE. But yeah. <laughs> well, me and Rob don't. But, um, <laughs> but this proves that they can when they let when they trust people to do something like the Adrian thingy match. They can pull off fucking amazing stuff, and this was like it was engrossing. That was the word engrossing, totally, just excellent. Chris. 
Uh, um, of the WWE matches I've seen this year, the only thing I can this is Matt Riddle versus Timothy Thatcher in the fight pit. But I'm not done because it speaks to that very specific side of my fandom, aka Timothy Thatcher hurting people. It's it's basically a kink of mine. But anyway, this match at the beginning, it's a mat like Randy Orton is like laying traps, and they're very like obvious traps. Like you don't. It's weird, like, this match is, like, a masterclass in everything wrestling, but you don't need to be, like, a million miles deep in the um, law of wrestling to understand what's going on. Like, Randy Orton's laying very obviously obvious traps. I mean, I think they're meant to come off as obvious because it's meant to tell the story. It is meant to tell the story of Edge can, can, can I still do this? He's falling for such, like, schoolboy errors. Like, he keeps going for the same arm drag at the beginning and it's fuck, fucking and stuff like that. Like the reason I think this is a master of escalations that a crossbody turned into a big deal mm-hmm. in 2020. Like you get a couple moments of like um, of that through the year. Like last year, it was um, Cody versus Dustin getting everyone to pop for a superplex, and it's like stuff like that. I think like you you have a great match on your hands if you can get people to pop for the simple shit, and that's what this match did. Um, I, the only issue I have is that I do think it was a tad too long like just like some some things could have like literally shave a second uh second or two off the beach segment but like at the end of the day no that's a nitpick i talked about this more in depth with notes um on the week in wrestling so it's hard of me to think of because it was so long gone i've watched so much so many movies since then um (laughs) but yeah like honestly i'm most of, most of this match was me going, oh my god, Edge is back, and I still can't quite grasp that. Like, if this was moments of the year, I think all of us would have Edge returning over Rumble as one of our moments of the year. Oh yeah, 100%. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And just, yeah, I didn't think Edge had this in him. In him. We all knew Randy had this in him, but, you know, he he doesn't try. I mean, we've incorporated that into storyline. Um, yeah, this, what else can we really say? It's not don't like as long as you ignore the stupid tagline because it's not the greatest wrestling match of all time. It's still a great match. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I do agree with you, Chris. You know, you can afford to shave off ten minutes when it's when it's going forty four minutes between you know effectively two veterans of the industry, and veterans is a nice way of saying old people. Um, you know. <laughs> you can afford to take some time off it, but even so, I don't think it detracted too much from the match at all. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was my choice. So we're on to our second way round. Um, Garth, second match for you. Uh, anyone who's been listening to the podcast since, well, was it just lockdown just started? Um <laughs> will know that I think every time it's come up, I've absolutely gushed about the stadium stampede. Um, it is the greatest match of the lockdown era. Um, just, it's not even a match, that's the thing. It's a... I've, somebody, hang on, I'll find it. Someone wrote the perfect analogy for it. was a, It's a hundred-yard canvas at which the most creative minds of the modern generation could paint a masterpiece of destruction. That's exactly what it is. It's they couldn't do the the war games or whatever it was they wanted to do, so they did this I'm instead. Blood and guts is what we were calling it. That was it, yeah. Um, so they did this instead, and it was absolutely perfect for the type of match they had to put on. 
Um, I just, I, honestly, from the moment it started, and I just looked at it and I thought, this is the boneyard turned up to 100 um, in a spinal tap way. It was just <laughs> so, Yeah, it was just like over the top. It was, like it's, like it says in that thing, it's like, Matt, you can tell it's, it's Matt Hardy, it's Chris Jericho, it's Kenny Omega, button heads and just saying, what crazy shit can we do? Um, I mean, the references to fucking um, No Mercy on the N64, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that is super, super nerd, like nerd shit, but it, it's there. Then you've got the, what was it, the, the swimming pool of reincarnation, <laughs> where Matt Hardy keeps coming in and out of different characters and the, the, um, like Ortiz and Santana just fucking just don't know what to do with themselves. It's just well, that, though. I can't swim. What do you mean you can't swim? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's everything about it's like Jericho. What he gets painted and then he takes out the mascot and then he calls for a um for a timeout or whatever they call it. Um, and is it Matt Jackson does his hundred yard? <laughs> Northern lights. Yeah. And then you've got people doing moonsaults off the crossbar. Just everything is like, it's like a sitcom where everything's like so, its own little bit. I mean, the bar brawl was my favourite bit. Not bad. Where it's sitting there, it's like, so uh, we're going to fight then? It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the best, like, I had noticed it, it was the, it was the second time I watched it. And because this was in the middle of the whole thing where it was Will, Omega, and Paige split up. And then they have like a little sort of toast and a drink at the end. And obviously, Kenny Omega has his little shot of milk. Uh, and just all those little touches. And then Sammy Guevara, like fucking getting blasted by the sprinklers and stuff. And just uh, honestly, it's one of my favorite, it's one of the best, the, the funnest matches I've, I've watched in probably as long as I've watched wrestling. It's up there with the best. I just loved it. And there's a, there was a match in there as well. <laughs> Somewhere. Buried. Buried deep. Yeah. Just brilliant. Chris, what did you think of this match? This is a wrestling match in the most broadest sense of the term. <laughs> like, there was a starting bell. There was an ending bell. There was a free count. But does that really make a wrestling match? I don't, I'm not quite sure. That's um, another like suplexes and some moonsaults. <laughs> it did have wrestling moves. Um, but it's weird. Like, it's, it's, this is something I've actually thought about complexly because you know, I'm weird. And I was like, what counts as a match? Because like, I was looking at this and like, um, in, like, I created a new rating just for the COVID era. It was the fuck it out of 10. <laughs> um, and two matches have gotten it. The Wyatt versus Cena match at Mania. Yeah. That match and this because I'm not quite sure. I like within like traditional terms, I'm not quite sure how they fit into the definition, but yeah, this match is just everyone was great. Like, it's weird. Santana and Ortiz feel shoved to the side right now in AEW, but like, again, they had the funniest moment of this match for me when it was like, can't swim. What do you mean you can't swim? And like, gosh, right, that, that bar, that whole bar sequence was like my favorite thing all year. And like, it's just like, 
how weirdly creative Kenny and Hangman got with like hitting their normal offense about ropes because they normally run off the ropes. That must be the, the uh, like the fact um, Hangman Page pulled off that springboard fucking like his buckshot from yeah, nowhere. The <laughs> like um, all, all that must have come from um, Omega working in DDT because half the time we like DDT just host wrestling events in the weirdest places like last year they had one in a swimming pool yeah so like I, like I've, Kenny Omega would have been an, an invaluable voice here and yeah again like that shot of both of them like downing like a scotch and a um and a, and milk was awesome um Sammy Guevara was like the the person of the worst luck <laughs> like <laughs> oh, yeah he was like the comedy like yeah he was like finally <laughs> and when the, a, a bad thing happens, it's like, oh, poor Sammy. Um, Jericho, like, continuing to do great work without having to bump. Um, I loved the, him, A, due to affecting the, um, the mascot, and B, how he and Aubrey played off each other when she's yeah. actually bad. <laughs> it was amazing. I'm like, the funny, thing about, the, funny, the funny thing about that part was um, it was on... Uh, Joe's podcast where he was interviewing her and he says like he says I don't know anything about amount of football I've never watched it I don't know anything about it so then when like people are saying call an audible he's like I don't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> um, but like yeah like I'm surprised like worse accidents didn't happen like because they, they got pretty close to some pretty high places well especially when Guevara goes up the steps and he's soaking wet yeah, exactly. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, I love, I do love matches like this. Like, there's one which I, it's on YouTube if you want to check out. It's like um, Suzuki versus this other dude. Like, and it's just this comedy thing where we wrestle around an anti Tokyo Dome. It's completely ridiculous. Like, we try to sing the national anthem, and Aja Kong is singing it, and they try to start fighting for it's over, but then Aja Kong puts them both back in their place. It's amazing. But yeah, this is just the best example of this kind of match I can think of, like this sort of halftime heat style match, and it's just crazy. And like almost us trying to recap it is almost futile mm-hmm. because like it's trying to recap everything that happens in fucking pulp fiction. Like it's futile. Just go watch it. Yeah. I think it speaks volumes that we've gone what, five minutes, maybe ten, talking about this match, and no one has spoken about Hangman Page arriving on a fucking horse and and chasing Sammy Guevara around the pitch and then it cutting to him later on, searching the stadium still on this horse. And it goes to show it's an endowment of how fucking batshit this match was that when Jake Hager came face-to-face with the horse, I legitimately (laughs) expected them to fight. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's funny because I'm like the bit where he's on the horse I was watching it and like uh, like Annette was sitting here and she just like looked up and she went is he on a horse? <laughs> and I was like yep and she went alright it's like yep. do you guys ever have that rat time where you're like watching wrestling on your own and you're like please like this is the one time I don't want anyone to walk in because this is too fucking batshit to ins- um, to explain mostly through the 90s yeah, true. So it was fucking brown panties and all that shit. Now, to be fair, like, yeah, but I mean, in terms of that, I don't want to have to bother explaining this because I know people will have questions. Mm. <laughs> I think when um, you've got a match like this 
and it legitimately makes Jake Hager interesting. I think <laughs> I think it's a big it it's a big success. I mean, every single like I said, Garth, it's it's a soap opera. Every single person in this match, whether it's Matt Hardy coming up in all versions of himself, and then it coming up with the Matt fact which was fucking great that he could hold his breath for 10 seconds or two and a half minutes or whatever it was. Um, Uzi being locked in a nice basket and a nice like vending machine, which was amazing. Just everything you've discussed, it was... And then that fucking um, bloody one-winged one winged angel from the stands. Oh, bloody hell. I mean, Have we not talked about that yet? I was just going to say, was... even with the crash mats and the tables, that still is a gnarly bump to take. Well, Watching it, literally, I was on the edge of my seat. Like, like I hope he doesn't fall because, like, it's so slipping. He's right on the edge. That's funny. So, like, you know how there's like people who follow AEW accounts just so they can shit on AEW because people are weird like that. <laughs> um, Sammy Guevara. So, like, Sammy Guevara had a rough couple of weeks leading up to this match. <laughs> like, he got run over by a golf cart. Um, One of the was... most memed pictures of the 2020. Yeah. <laughs> like. I think the the longer build up that this match ended up having to have worked in its benefit because, like, if you remember back, like, I was very critical about how we went about booking blood and guts, but then this, we just went completely crazy. Like the Jericho and Matt Hardy stuff, release the hounds. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgot about that. And the little was... T-shirt. Yeah, it's un fucking believable. It's just. Like this again, this is a match you owe it to yourself to check out if you haven't. But anyway, the so you know how Sammy Guevara kept posting things like does anyone feel like they got hit by a golf cart yesterday? <laughs> or does anyone feel like they fell off the stadium stadium yesterday? <laughs> he's and, had like, like he's had the best year. Yeah, and so there's such a some, thing, but and someone posted um posted on me was like, Yeah, a lot of people have been hit by hard by coronavirus. I'm like I mean, half the many people are like, dude, he's fucking talking about AEW last night, you fucking idiot. This, I, again, this match is a fuck out of 10. Just, oh my yeah. God. It's batshit, like, I didn't, it's weird, like, when Boneyard happened, I thought, like, okay, that's the weirdest we're going to get this year. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. It's just one of the, it's a popcorn match. Yeah. It's By the way, what, what flavour popcorn do you guys <laughs> I'm curious. Sweet and salted. Oh, sweet! And, I'm sweet and salted too. Like best of both worlds. Fully. Rob. Um, I like bland, no flavour. What? No, I'm joking. Of course, I want sweet and salted. <laughs> what kind of animal doesn't? Everyone's, everyone's who who says when they've got the option of sweet or salted, and then sweet and salted? If you like both, why on earth would you choose? Why on earth would you put yourself through that? That's ridiculous. People think I'm weird for liking sweet and salted up here. Is that the reason people think you're weird? Well, <laughs> there, there are several reasons, Robert. I mean, but, one of those reasons is your shockingly limited knowledge of film. I mean, like, that doesn't make me weird, that just makes me uncultured with a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Who's next? Um. So, Chris. Oh, no, I'm Goldberg. Garthberg. What's um, your second match? Garthberg. I want to change your Twitter name like that. Garthberg. Garthberg. Right, so I had the trouble here, because initially here, 
Um, because I knew we were going to do this a few weeks in advance, so I initially had Panzer in here off Grey versus Takahashi, but then Speak Out happened, and I and I was like, I don't want to include that. So now I am including Kota Ibushi versus Kazuchika Okada from Tokyo Dome. Makes sense. Makes it. It's just great. Like, um, it's weird because like I remember really enjoying their match at G One last year. But I also felt like they were holding something back. Like, they didn't want to go balls to the wall because um, they were saving something. And, like, I saw, like, in that time, a lot because the match slightly under-delivered, like, not overly, but just slightly, um, especially compared to the Jay White match the next day, um, people going, oh, well, Ibushi and Okada have never really had a good match, so, like, I'm not hyped for this. And I was like, well, Kota Ibushi is, like, my long-lost husband. So... I'm really excited for this. So it came into it, and like this week, because like logically, I was like, okay, Okada's going to win this. It's going to be Okada versus Naito. It's only that's the only logically satisfying way to do this. But during the match, I, I completely lost that and just fell into the culture of Bushi. He's my favorite person in the world, and if he doesn't win, I'm going to die. Um, this it's um, it's amazing. This match is just probably the best match of well. Okada and, and Ibushi and Omega. Okay, this is one of the best matches of both men. And just unbelievable. It's weird because they didn't really pull out much new apart from Okada's tights, which, by the way, tasty. Very, very tasty. <laughs> Ama- amazing outfit because it glows and I love that. Um, but then, like, this match is sort of your standard New Japan back and forth until Kota Ibushi, and he's done this before, but he's only done it against a few people. Wipes it, does sort of the coke finger on his nose, wipes wipes that away, and starts shooting <laughs> on Okada. And ooh, my god, ouch! And then like there's a point in this match where Abushi hits a Pele but lands right on his head. Nice. Just ah, it's amazing. This and then like Abushi pulls out like his standard big match stuff, like his um deadlift German off the rope which is impressive no matter when it's done Okada, like I'm talking a lot about Ibushi Okada also played its role but like we've talked about this on the young line that like Okada is sort of a he's better to wrestle around than actually wrestle and Ibushi wrestled around him perfectly here it's just great Garth opinion on this match I don't really remember a lot about it um, I know I watched it. <laughs> he had too many vitamins that day. Yeah, but uh, honestly, I, I'm drawing a total blank because Chris has just sprung this one on us. <laughs> he has sort of sprung it upon us, and yeah. Um, to be honest, for me, you know, it was it was always going to be a banging match. You've got two of the greatest workers, not just in New Japan, but in the world. Okada is legitimately one of the top three best wrestlers in the world. A, for storytelling, and B, for putting on absolute classics. And you knew it was going to be a good match. Yes, of course you knew that the final event of January 5th was going to be Naito versus Okada. And... Even with that in the back of every wrestling fan's mind, they still put on a match that had you captivated. It was wrestled at such a phenomenal pace. And, you know, 
Ibushi is, by nature, an obscenely quick wrestler. And Okada, you don't look at him and think speed, but he kept up the entire match. Everything was stiff. Everything was solid. You just, every single near fall felt organic. And there were legitimate moments where you did pop out of your seat because you genuinely thought Ibushi was going to win. And that Okada entrance, man, from the glow-in-the-dark gear to the weird, like, giant montage that came on beforehand, it was great. It was an absolutely outstanding match. Chris mentioned Demon Ibushi, where he went fucking mental and started just legitimately trying to break Okada's face, which, again, was great. Um, yeah, overall, this match was absolutely phenomenal. And <laughs> it worried me briefly because I wasn't sure how the main event of the second night of the Tokyo Dome could possibly follow what was, let's be honest, a wrestling masterclass between Ibushi and Okada. Yeah, um, I know that was designed to be a great start segue, but since we're going on to the last one now, I kind of feel like we have to ask if there's any honourable mentions. <laughs> no, it wasn't a segue, actually. It would have worked, actually. Never mind. Nah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Anybody? I've... Go on. I've got a couple of honourable mentions. Uh, I want to put that Mongo Rumble in there, because, again, it was the best Rumble in a long time. I'd say uh, since... That was the best rumble since 2010. Yeah, I mean the the winner, Brock Lesnar, Edge. Um, it was just really good. Yeah, it was it was different and it was entertaining and it was structured. That's the thing. That, that, that's the, it. A lot of our rumbles t- just fall into okay, we're gonna like just do random shit around these 30 men. But no, like you had your Lesnar part. And then um, you had a beginning, um, which was like the lesson plan, but I went for almost half a rumble. And then you had Drew McIntyre knocking it out. And in your head, that sort of eliminates Drew from um, winning because you're like, well, we've given Drew that big moment. It's going to go to someone else now. Mm-hmm. And then like you have the second half with everyone, in, uh, like the second half before Ed, where they're just filling up the ring. And then Edge. Ah. Uh, I cried. I like, I, like when he came, he came out, and you can see it in his eyes. He's, he's about to cry, and I'm like, Edge, don't cry. Because if you cry, I'll yeah. cry. It's that moment with the tears in his eyes, and he comes out, and he's all hyped, and then he sort of like just stops for a second, and he's like, suddenly he's stripped away, and he's not Edge, he's Adam Copeland, and he's just like, <laughs> he's so glad to be back, and you can't help, you know, even people who aren't fans of Edge, whoever these weirdos are, um, I'm sure that even they were like, holy shit, this is this is a moment. And yeah, that alongside the entire Lesnar storyline, the fact that McIntyre got over in the way that that was masterfully done, how they managed to get that storyline between Brock and Drew, I thought it was absolutely superbly done. I thought the entire Rumble was structured really, really really well um you mentioned you might have another honorable mention garth um omega and page versus the young bucks uh a tag match where it was well as far as as far as i've seen it's the best story driven match that i've ever seen the books have 
Um, um, yeah, probably. In terms of story, yeah. The the match had like gravitas. There was a you knew their background. You knew that these four people were really close. There'd been all those things where they were sort of teasing pages. So maybe it's a heel turn coming, and he didn't. And there's there was Matt Jackson sort of working Kenny Omega's um, injured body parts. He ripped off the tape and things like that. And where Matt Jackson almost went full heel, and even sort of Nick had to sort of rein him in. Um, the fact that went the extra mile, and then at the end, Kenny Omega was sort of standing sort of face to face with him, and then. Page was the one who came back for him and stuff. The story and it was excellent, and obviously the, you know, we know that they're going to put in a good match. And going into that, I wasn't really, as I'm not tend to do with these matches, wasn't that excited because I thought, well, they're going to have a good. We know they're going to have a good match, but it's a doubt whether there's going to be story. But this was pure story, and it was like really, really good. Probably the best tag match of the year. One of um, the best tag match of the year. Yeah, yeah. So okay, um, with mine, I'm gonna go rapid, rapid fire because I do have a few. Uh, Matt Riddle versus Timothy Thatcher in the fight pit. It's like this match is breaking my kink, and I love it. Um, Kento Mihara versus Swammer. Kento looked extremely cocky going in, and actually played into the story, and I loved that. Um. And the last one, well, Christ, the last one has left my head, and I hate. My, oh, Masao Tanaka versus um, Mao. It was great. It was like this really high gravitas um, title match, interspersed with weird stuff like going through a box full of ducks, or like a stiff forearm exchange that went on for like thirty seconds, ending with Mao going to Tanaka. What's over there? It was great. <laughs> and also just. One last thing, Bandido versus Mike Bailey at the WXW 16 Karat Gold Tournament. I've literally never seen a match where it was so good that the fans threw money into a ring after it was finished. <laughs> that actually happened, and it was it's a, like it's one of those wrestling visuals that will never leave me. It's just going to be there for the rest of my life. Cause, like the match was so good, but everyone in the audience threw money at them. <laughs> Imagine if that's how wrestlers made a living just on tips. <laughs> Well, Britain, Britain's fucking tight as fuck, so they get nothing. Oh yeah, it'd be like, oh, here's here's a penny. (laughs) It'd just be it'd just be coins. It'd be fucking carnage. Oh, that's the thing. They were throwing like that's the thing. One guy put like money in, and then people started throwing coins. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Fucking idiots! But like the match, like the match itself, I would actually hold the- hold it against any junior match this year from New Japan. It was great. Right, so I'm gonna just gonna go straight in with my pick, and the last match is still to this day my favorite match of 2020. And but he picked it before me. Yeah. It's the double championship match, the IWGP heavyweight and IWGP intercontinental championship match between Tetsuya Naito and Kazuchika Okada from the second night at the Tokyo Dome. Just everything about this match. I'll preface this by saying in-ring probably wasn't as good as Ibushi versus Okada. I think that was a more technically well-wrestled match. Just in terms of Wrestle Kingdom weekend, it's probably like lucky to get top three of pure in-ring. 
like when you look at like you look at like White Knight O, White Ibushi, Takahashi, Osprey, Goto, Kenta, these all matches but argue like what purely happens in between the ropes may have been better. But like rest, at the end of the day, wrestling's a story. So This just, is sorry. this is long term storytelling at its best. Just everything about this match harken back to, you know, a six year storyline, which is just mental. <laughs> Like, you are looking back at Wrestle Kingdom 8 and even further back than that, you know, and every little bit of this match tells a little bit of a different story. You know, whether it's Naito coming to the ring, Naito usually so, you know, arrogant and flamboyantly arrogant, and here he just walks to the ring almost single-minded on the ring and the task at hand. His video package with the television screens and just looking back at all the times that Okada has not only beaten him but embarrassed him was amazing. The fact that he just leaves the Intercontinental Championship in the middle of the ring and fucks (laughs) off to the corner and doesn't even look at it, turning his back on the Intercontinental Championship and just, it it was just incredible. It was amazing. You've got Okada being that dick at the start of the match, pretty much just going... It's Naito. I can beat Naito. I've beaten remember, Naito many times. Remember him the night before when they had their send-off? Exactly. And Okada's physically fucking laughing at this Naito challenge. And then just partway through the match, it seems to be this unspoken respect. And then just it... You've got the first half of the match with Okada's arrogance. You've got the respect in the middle. And then you have just got fucking hellfire at the end. And... The last bit of this match is simple, but it is beautiful. Naito's undoing at Wrestle Kingdom 8, his last, you know, his attempt at that IWGP Heavyweight Championship in the Tokyo Dome. He went for a Stardust Press, fucking missed it, ate shit, and Okada beat him. And that was in a match where the entire of New Japan turned on him and, you know, he'd had his match that was supposed to be the main event, shunted down the card, even though it was the championship match. And he's gone for it in previous matches, the Wrestle Kingdom 12 match, for example, and missed it again and still lost. And here he went up for it. And even though the storyline was made for Naito here, there's still just a little bit of trepidation. He's going to miss it. He's going to miss it. But here he hits it, hits the Destino, which of course translates as destiny, which is so fucking apt in this case. (laughs) Victory and just the explosion from the Tokyo Dome. A dome where, you know, it's enormous. It's very, very difficult to get a lot of noise in the Tokyo Dome because of its sheer size. The place erupts. Storytelling is why I love wrestling. And this, this is long-term storytelling. Every story beat was perfectly executed. You know, whether it's everything I've just discussed or whether it's literally just Okada's neck just being destroyed by Naito. Just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful carnage. I fucking love this match. It is still my match of 2020. How Meltzer didn't give this five stars is beyond me, but you know, star ratings are subjective. I'm not, I'm not too hung up on that. It's just, it's the expressions on the faces, you know, just simple things like that really just compel you to be part of the match. 
whether it's Naito's just desperation, he can't lose again. It's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful match that I have watched it now three times and I'd happily watch it again. Go and check it out. It is fucking immense. Chris. Um, yeah, so coming out of Wrestle Kingdom 12, I was kind of... I don't want to say mad at I was more baffled at New Japan. Like, I sort of why they didn't have Nago, they wanted Okada to rip the record, and then, like, it went from Kenny. So, like, it kind, it kind of makes sense. It kind of flows. But also, like, I, I, in the back of my head, I'm like, you've wasted Dio. And, and, like, that kind of went on. Like, he sort of just feuded on and off with Jericho for the rest of the year. Um, and then, like, this, and, like, in 2019, he, it literally felt like he was treading water. I'm like, I love Tai Chi, but main eventers don't study their hands with Tai Chi. So, Naito doing that for most of the year was interesting, to say the least. And then, like, he, he had a suit of Ibushi, but it was up the IC title, and, like, so Naito was turning into another Nakamura, which, like, it's fine, but also do you really want, like, you the IC title doesn't have prestige, the IWGP title does. So, like, and Naito looks so desperate, like, as recently as King of Pro Wrestling, where Taichi destroyed him, and then um, like he only he like he only got into like the way it was being told. Tai Chi was like number five heavyweight. I don't know how that happened, but that happened. Um, so Naito had to beat Tai Chi to again, and it was just like in my head for a long time. I thought this storyline maybe went on a year too long, but like now in my head, I'm like no, because it made it feel a bit more satisfying. Because Naito in kayfabe going into this was definitely the outsider. Like he had Jay White who made it to the finals of the G1, had beaten Naito twice. That year, and then he had Ibushi, who was on like the year of his life, won his first IC championship, and um, which was one of the his main losses since he um never managed to beat Nakamura for it. And yeah, just everything sort of came together and sort of this wider structure, structure, but never seemed to involve tag team wrestling. But we don't talk about that. Um, and then we get into this match, and like it, all the little things between them, like for example, Knight has perpetually injured me, but that ended up being a small factor. What took out to me, like there's this kind of idea where we kind of remake the Rainmaker into the Destiner. Um, it's uh, it was somewhat a sticking point where we didn't do that in the Wrestle Kingdom 12 match, but we did it here. And like we talked about commentary adding to the Edge and Autumn match, Chris Charlton added so much to this match as a commentator, like. Uh, when he went up for the Stardust and he was just there going, don't get too clever, sunshine. Don't do it. <laughs> and then, like, it just made it all the more amazing when he hit it. And, yeah, like, Naito is one of my favourite. Like, always, perpetually within my top five favourites in New Japan, depending on how I feel. So, like, this was a massive thing. Like, everyone had been waiting for this. Everyone. Like, apart from, like, the two people who are annoyed at the Wrestle Kingdom 12 main event because we just wanted the Okada versus Kenny. Sure. But, just, I, I, I can't say anything that Rob hasn't said. Just go watch this match. Like, you probably, if you haven't been watching New Japan, like I've been watching New Japan for five, four, four years now. Wrestling, no, five years now. And um, Rob for three, three or four. So, like just and this has been like one of the main stories. Like this felt like a season finale. This this felt like a season finale. And then Kenta happened. Oh my god, the dick! Fuck, 
Kenta. He was just about to do a roll call. He was just about to do a roll call, and Kenta came out. Fuck it. Fuck you, Kenta. Fuck you, Kenta. Amazing. <laughs> uh, Garth, anything to add? Um, remind me again. Is this this was the match where Night or just came down like an absolute prick? Is that right? With his suit on. Well, he always down with a suit on. Yeah, but like, did he not just like just go into the corner with his back turned and just slowly take his suit off and? Yeah, that's the yeah. one. That's the one. I, I just because I remember watching that and thinking, this is like straight away. This is what I want. Um, because I hadn't obviously I had no idea what I had a kind of a sort of rough idea of the story and the arc, but I didn't know what had happened in between all the different Wrestle Kingdoms and stuff, and. Immediately, you could tell the way the were with like reacted to each other. The way Okada just had this sort of "you are beneath me now" sort of air about him, um, and the night was just like, "Well, just like, fuck you." Like I'm laying that, I'm laying it all on the line now. I'm this is how desperate I am. I want you, and I want that. And it was just, I loved it. The, the match itself was like a good match. Um, like probably like I think probably like a great match but there was other better matches at the weekend but I think this had story and it had the time the, the best parts of the match were where they were both on the map and Naito was just looking at them just what the fuck I can't do anything else and that, that was, they were the best like sort of story beats so yeah like you say the, the commentary made a good job of bringing in like noobs like me who didn't know the story and making it important so yeah it was just really the storytelling was just like top top class storytelling one thing I think also added to it was like the opponents they had the night before because it's like for, they're the opponents that would take the most out of both men like for example Naito was against Jay White who was very precise he went very precisely after the knee and the neck which is always troubled areas areas for Naito, whereas Okada, he doesn't really have a ton of lingering injuries. He's had some here and there, but like he's not had anything like Naito did with his knee and his neck. So, going up against someone who's just balls out like Goju Bishi, that's a perfect opponent to set up this, because like, um, everything's been um, taken out of Naito. It's injuries, but also then everything's been taken out of Okada from... In a in a bubble, Wrestle Kingdom um, fourteen, it's incredibly easy to understand whether or not you've been watching New Japan for years, like me and Rob, or just like you're you're in there once a year um, for Wrestle Kingdom, and then whatever strikes you fancy for a year, like Gap is. Just it's incredibly simple and fun and easy to understand. Yeah, all great matches, all great matches, all great matches for different reasons. Um, yeah, I think all together, guys, we've put together quite a good list and I guarantee we'll have missed out something glaring um, but nevertheless well, you didn't mention this undercard match on this fucking Nagoya or Japan show you guys clearly don't watch wrestling <laughs> <laughs> anyway um, thank you so much guys for listening um, you can find us 
anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave us a five-star review. It really does help the podcast. Uh, check out the website, www.podmania.co.uk. Find us on Twitter at, at Podmania Podcast. Same with the Facebook group as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at RealRobGoodwin. Garth, where can they find you? For now, it's Gothmania, but I'm going to be Gothberg soon. <laughs> <laughs> Gothberg. Um, Chris, where can they find you? They can find me at... I, I normally think of something funny here, like someone else, like a celebrity Twitter, but now I just need to say my one. It's Chris Loves Piro now. It I is. I, because I just took the Young Lion one, because I'd rather not have my face attached and my name attached to what I say about New Japan <laughs> fair enough um, anyway next week guys same time same place 6 o'clock Friday we will be back reviewing ECW Heatwave 1998 so come and join us next week for that thank you so much for listening guys and we'll talk to you guys again soon you've been listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast Follow us on Twitter at Podmania, Facebook at Podmania Podcasts, and YouTube and Instagram at RealPodmania. And check out the website, podmania.co.uk. Until next time, wrestling fans. Podmania.